When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, hey. Sorry I didn't see you there. This is an audio medium. If you grew up with Disney Channel shows, decoms, and music, the time machine is ready for you to take a trip back to those golden days. Quick! Before the time reaches 8-7 Central! What is up, time travelers? Welcome back to the Time Machine Podcast with me, Becca Stogner. And me... Hunter Martin. Who just started making freaking fun of me as I was saying that. Uh, I can't help it. Only you I can make fun you. of me. You make it fun of me, Riz? Some people are so Stop. <laughs> Stop. I've, I've set you off. I don't want to anymore. I'm done with you. Um, how you been, buddy? <laughs> Buckaroo. Buddy old pal. Um... You know, just doing... January is such an interesting month. Like, I have to keep Jan- myself busy or I get miserable. Because it ta- January, feels like it takes forever. February? Get out of here with that TikTok sound. Get out. <laughs> January is like... What's the worst post-holiday month? It's January. January? Yeah. I mean... Because January is the only month after three months in a row where you don't have like a major holiday. So there's nothing to decorate. Like, it's the first time your house hasn't been decorated with something in, like, four months, at least for me. Because I put up Halloween in September. And I have, like, miniature Thanksgiving decorations. So I have, like, a small decoration (laughs) period in between Halloween and Christmas. And, like, well, usually it's not cold in Tennessee. But usually when January is, like, cold and the weather's just, like, gray and you don't have much to look forward to sometimes, it's, like, can be sucky. Like, all the movies that are coming out are usually bad. But the, now we have Megan. So. Right. That that original screen. I can't screen. wait to see Megan. I think I'm seeing that soon as well. We're definitely we're definitely going to see it. Um Jamie Lee Curtis is on the red carpet. On Jamie the Lee Golden Curtis Globes. on the red carpet again. The um, asked came, about Freaky Friday. She was asked about Freaky Friday. She's giving the same answer. Yeah, so Basically, we can't really gonna give us, She's going to give us the same answer until she has something new to say. Yeah. Until she has signed a contract. Yeah. It's still like very vague. We've talked to the people. Is it happening? Can't tell you. But, but I want to do it. Lindsay wants to do it. We're just waiting yeah. on Disney. We've heard it all before, Jamie Lee. <laughs> Give us something new. <laughs> um, did you see that video of her? Uh, someone said, now that Halloween's over, who's the next person to take the Scream Queen mantle? She said Megan. She said Megan, the doll. She goes, oh, I think Megan has proven. <laughs> I thought she was going to say Jenna Ortega. <laughs> right. But nope. Megan. Jamie, Jamie knows. Megan said me again. I'm also again, going to Megan. be. I'm also going to be seeing Skinnamarink on Friday. I got told about Skinnamarink eating eating Skinnamarink eating. I so I went and saw the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie at midnight, um, this Saturday at my local theater, and they played the trailer for Skinnamarink. And I, I'm a horror fan, and I cannot recall the last time I have been that terrified by something. Have you seen the trailer? Really? 
I have I've been told to watch it, and so I've been told by just... a by a horror movie fan that the trailer is scary. It's terrifying. I have not been able to stop thinking about it. It's just it gives you that horrible feeling in your chest. Like it's I should watch awful. your I should watch in the daylight. Then. Well, I'm seeing it on Friday, which is Friday the thirteenth. Yikes! Um, so if I have to wipe the seat when I leave, I'll be sure to let you know next week. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> Uh, Friday the 13th, known as Unlucky uh, unlucky Day? Unlucky Where Day. things go weird? Well, it's not going to be an unlucky day for us, because we've got some Disney 411 in the pot. Okay, look at you with some segues. All right, Riding let's get into segway, it. Call me Paul Blart. <laughs> All right, enough. Enough. Let's get into it. Disney 411. All right, first story, a little Demi Lovato news. Um, Britain's advertising regulator has banned a poster promoting Demi Lovato's most recent album for being, quote, likely to cause serious offense to Christians. Um, the Advertising Standards Authority launched an investigation what? Into, the po- into the poster, which was seen at multiple sites across London in August after receiving complaints from four members of the public. Four members? Okay. Um, the poster featured its, um, if you know, um... Demi Lovato's album cover, it's her with a bunch of, you know, uh, crucifix and leather, leather bondage style outfit, so uh-huh. to say. Um, well, that album's been out for like six months. Y'all are just now raising a tiff? I know. Uh, well, under the UK's <laughs> code of non-broadcast advertising ads must be prepared with a sense of responsibility and must not contain anything likely to cause serious or widespread offense. According to the report published by the ACA Wednesday, the complaints challenged whether the ad was likely to cause serious or widespread offense, while some suggested it was irresponsibly placed where children could see it. Um, A statement said, we considered that the image of Miss Lovato bound up in a bondage-style outfit, while this lying on a mattress shaped like a crucifix, (laughs) in a position position with her legs bound to one side, which was reminiscent of Christ on the Cross, Together with reference Holy Fuvuk, which in that contest was likely to be viewed as a linking sexuality to the sacred symbol of the crucifix can and the crucifixion, people, was likely to cause serious offense to Christians. Um, though it would be clear to most readers that the ad alluded to the expression of Holy Fuvuk. Um, and goes on and on and on and on. So. Yeah, these people need to get a freaking hobby. Oh my god. <laughs> Four people. Um, also, shout out to um, our Instagram follower Gorals, who hey. just DM'd us this story uh, moments before we started recording. So thank you. It's break. The Disney darlings are on the pulse, and thank you for the breaking news. They are. Y'all Di- always got your eyes and ears open for us. Uh, so that was uh, the first Demi story of 2023. But it's weird that this album has been out since the summer. Yeah. And now we're raising a tiff? Well, also, why are there are there still ads out for it? Are there just now ads showing up in the UK for it? Like, what's going on over there? <laughs> yeah, that's what's so confusing is they have to be old posters that no one just took down. Yeah. I mean, well, I know, like, every time I go to New York and I ride the subway, they still have ads for movies that came out, like, five years ago. Just oh, yeah. In some of those stations. So. Oh, yeah. No, this, like, the amount of times I've still seen Olivia Rodrigo's sour ad. On the subway? <laughs> like, this is old news. Old news. Bring in the new. Bring in the new, bring in the new album. Um, well, that, that was old news that we're making new again. Like the British press. <laughs> All right. 
next story, shall we? Yes, please. All right. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. When actor Dan, this is about Dan Benson, who played Zeke from Wizards of Waverly Place. Uh, he was Justin Russo's best friend. Um, so when actor Dan Benson was working on the Disney Channel show Wizards of Waverly Place, he would often receive nude photos of women. In exchange, what? he would send. I'm giving you a back. So, backstory is this is about how Dan Benson um, stumbled upon adult entertainment. Um, so this is the backstory. In exchange, he would send back nudes of his own. He said over the week. He he said over the weekend on TikTok. Um, however, without his consent, the explicit photos he sent would end up plastered across the internet. He says mm-hmm. that was a pr- pretty traumatic experience. Um, and for years, I went about trying to get rid of them and get them off the internet, but obviously, I did not want them out there. Benson, who was in his early twenties um, when the show was in production, said the photos almost caused him to lose his job. He was essentially forced into retirement from acting. Um, after the show wrapped in 2012, Benson saw little work landing minor parts in small TV shows and indie films. But since then, Benson said he decided to stop fighting against the rogue nudes and instead go the other direction and completely lean into it. He is now um, an OnlyFans um, creator. And so now he is fully in the adult entertainment world. Good for him. Surprise, this is news. It's major news. I'm, you know, we always, like, have a standard that there should be a standard. Sometimes I pluck these news stories out from the bottom of my shoe. Um, so maybe <laughs> I really shouldn't say that standard. But this was a, it was a BuzzFeed article. It was a, right. It was a pop crave tweet. <laughs> it, I, I, I mean, I know they basically carry the same journalistic integrity. But, like, a BuzzFeed, there was a point in my life where I checked BuzzFeed every freaking day. So, yeah. like, it's an outlet. It's a source. Well, the for those of you who don't know, I um, read articles from news sites, and that's how we get these stories. That was from um, USA Today. Okay, so, so. It, yeah. Um, I'm just surprised, because when you sent me that, I was like, who? Because he's, he's not, like, a a main character or anything. Yeah. And I don't even know how many episodes of Wizards of Waverly Place he was in. I remember him. Um, he, I don't think he's been in any of the sh- episodes we've watched, though. Well, you heard it here first. Being on Wizards of Waverly Place gets the panties dropping. Huh? You get lots of nudes <laughs> sent to you, I guess, if you're playing someone's best friend on a Disney show. Yeah. So, more power to you, Dan. Yeah. Everything is truly not what it seems. Amen to that. Amen to that. And speaking of religious experiences, mm. our next story, we are teeing up. For the next religious experience known as Miley Cyrus's <laughs> new album. Gorley's, so I was correct. Becca's <laughs> theories were correct. Um, so this is confirmation. Miley Cyrus has revealed her new album called Endless Summer Vacation will be arriving on March 10th via her new label, Columbia Records. The record, which Cyrus described as her love letter to LA um, in the announcement, will be the follow-up to 2020's Plastic Hearts. Which has me nervous. Not that I don't have faith in Miley, because I absolutely do, but how do you follow Plastic Hearts? How do you follow Plastic Hearts? Um, this is this is a little blurb about what the album's all about. The music and imagery of Endless Summer Vacation serves as a reflection of the strength she's found in focusing on both her physical and mental well-being, um, and that is the official news release. The album was recorded in LA and produced with Kid Harpoon and Tyler Johnson, most recently celebrated for their work on Harry Styles' Harry Ho- Harry's House, along with Greg Kirsten and Mike Will Made It. 
I'm like excited Will because it feels like based on who there's been rumors about it being worked on. But I mean, I know we said this before, but it feels like it could really be a nice combination between like sort of her last three eras. Yeah. So I'm it, really interested to see where this goes. The song will, by the time this episode comes out, the song will already be out, I think, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So it, we will uh, see. In, in the United States, it comes out the 12th, mm-hmm. along with, I believe, a music video. Do you know what else comes out on the 12th? If you're listening, Paramore's third single, Say Come Saw. Pardon? It's called, it's called Say Come Saw. It's French. Oh. But give it a listen. As you said it in a British accent. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, I got a free trial of Apple Music so I could listen to it early earlier today. The episode has since been taken down. But I like it a lot. I think it's very um, like talking heads. You love talking heads. Oh, I like talking heads. Talk, talk, talk. It's all here from you. Talk, talk, talk. I'm a podcast host, you bitch. <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> Sit there silently. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm happy for you and I'm happy for us. Um, we're getting a lot of new music. I got to save because I know Miley's tours around the corner. It's coming. Ooh. It's coming. I I'm, know it's I'm coming. A, I'm a scared. I'm a scared. Um, all right. Well, that's the end of Disney 411. All right. Well, we manifested at the end of 2022 that we would have more Disney Channel chats in 2023. And right off the bat, here we are with a Disney Channel chat that dreams are made of. We had the wonderful opportunity to speak with the director of the capital T-H-E Lizzie McGuire movie, Jim Fall. On the heels of this year, um, 2023 will be the uh, 20th anniversary of the Liz McGuire movie. Um, so we talked to him about making the movie, the impact it has had 20 years later. And he's just an all-around uh, swell guy. Um, very fun to talk to. He was so gracious with his time. Yeah, so here is our Disney Channel chat with Jim Fall. We are here, and we are so excited to welcome Mr. Jim Fall to the uh, Time Machine podcast. Jim, how are you? I'm good. I'm thrilled to be here talking about my my favorite film. Oh, good. Well, uh, you're in good company because it is two of our favorite films, and I know we're not uh, we're not we're not alone in that. And it's so funny because I'm sure you're aware of this, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of DMs that this year marks the 20th anniversary of the Lizzie McGuire movie. I know, actually, not. I mean, January. You know, we're recording this what the second week of January, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that many yet. It's, 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 you know, I'm surprised. I think more will come because it is the 20th anniversary. I cannot believe it. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember when uh, it came out, it came out like uh, 2003. So I was like, oh, oh God, uh, like say eight, eight, 20 years ago. I'm 27. So seven. I was seven. <laughs> I can do math. I promise. <laughs> so I was seven. Uh, Becca was six, five. Yeah. So we're like right in that age range that I remember my my sister bought it on DVD and we and VHS and we were all about it. I'm sure you've heard that. So it, many was on, it was on the VHS. Yes, it was. Yeah. So um, for those of you listening who don't know VHS, uh, uh, then like you may not even know what the Liz McGuire movie is. <laughs> yeah, you're listening um, to the wrong podcast. You're listening to the wrong podcast, baby. Is. Um, but well, of course we're going to talk about this McGuire movie, but before we actually get into that, um, we're just curious, like more about you and what kind of your journey is, um, before 
you know, the Lizzie McGuire movie and like getting into directing and all that. Sure, sure. Um, well, where do I start? Let's see. Um, I went to, well, I, I always made films. I made films in high school uh, and I'd entered a couple of them. Super, we're, we're talking actual films. We're talking in the early 80s. So before any of you were even conceived of, uh, <laughs> I was shooting uh, short films on on Super 8 film and uh, I'd won a I'd won a couple contests, which was actually really cool. And I thought, okay, I'm on my way. You know, little did I know it would take till the summer of 1998 to actually get my first feature film made. But, um, but, but I went to NYU undergrad. Went to Temple University actually my freshman year because my grades weren't that great. And I got into Temple, but not into NYU or USC. Uh, then I transferred to NYU and uh, undergrad film. And then lived in New York City for uh, until I made my first movie in 1998. But before that, I directed a lot of theater. And I don't mean like Broadway. I mean, like off, off, way off Broadway, you know, way off Broadway. Um, I, I kind of stumbled out of film school, not really, I kind of naive and not really knowing how the hell to get a movie made. Um, but I figured if I want to call myself a director, I've got to keep directing. So I just, I, I stumbled into theater, had a wonderful time. And I figured, why can't I just make a movie if I can do this? So uh, uh, I found what turned out to be my first film, a movie uh, called Trick, uh, written by uh, a guy named Jason Schaefer. And it was a, a really hilarious script. And then we spent about four years trying to raise the money for that movie, shot it in the summer of 98. And then it became kind of a really charmed, project and that it it turned out well we got into Sundance it sold at Sundance and I moved my ass to Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> from the cold blustery winds of New York to the sunny That's side it. of Hollywood California I know because I'm I'm currently in New York right now so I know uh what the cold weather's like and it's not for, it. it's not for the faint of heart let me nope. tell you Nope. It's like, I like walk outside. I'm like, oh, that's enough for today. <laughs> back, back inside. Um, so that kind of brings me to the next question is, so Trick was like this big indie, you know, and Sundance, like you said, and all that stuff. And, you know, it's the next thing you did, Lizzie, like the big thing next thing you did was Lizzie McGuire. Right, right. Well, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, a funny thing coming to Hollywood and having made Trick, which was, a romantic comedy, but it was a gay romantic comedy. And it was, it was, you know, it did great at Sundance. Uh, Fine Line Features, which was a um, uh, New Line Features sort of art film arm, released the movie. It did really well. Now, that was the same year that the Blair Witch Project came out, which also was at Sundance the same time my movie was there. Now, Blair Witch, you know, made gazillions of dollars where my movie made for a gay feature film made uh, you know, made its money back and then some. So it did well, but it didn't do Blair Rich well, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, you come to Hollywood and I, again, I keep saying I was naive, but I, I was naive again. It's like, okay, I'm in Hollywood. Now what the hell do I do? And I had a wonderful agent at United Talent Agency. And, you know, you go on all these meetings and, you know, and then out of the blue, uh, about a year and a half or two years after I got here, the Lizzie McGuire script came to me. And I didn't know what the hell it was, to be honest. <laughs> You're like, what's a McGuire? <laughs> what's a Lizzie McGuire? I hadn't seen the show, um, but I was told it was a Disney movie and they had a, a, you know, a decent budget. It was like a $17 million budget, which was like, okay, that's exciting. They want to shoot in Rome. 
that's exciting. And then I read the script and, you know, it was pretty good. It needed some work, but it was basically this musical romantic comedy set in Rome. And that's kind of my my wheelhouse. I love romantic comedies and it was a chance to make a movie for Disney. And so uh, I think my objectivity was good because I, I went in there saying, you know, I want to make this a real movie. I don't, I, you know, and I, and luckily the executives who hired me, uh, Karen Glass and, um, oh my God, Doug's going to kill me for getting his last name. I'm having a, I'm having a senior moment. Oh my God. How can I forget his name? Anyway, Doug, Doug and Karen. Um, Shout out. I know. Uh, <laughs> said I was the most prepared and most enthusiastic of all the directors they met. Um, so I was happy about that. And we worked on the script a bit and then, you know, off to Rome we went and uh, yeah. So that, yeah. that's how I got it. I guess I was the most prepared and the most enthusiastic of all the directors they met. Yeah, because I was just so curious, especially um, someone who's not involved in like, you know, Disney likes to keep their people like, you know, the same actors and directors and people that are involved. So I was just curious how you've stumbled upon the script and your first, like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? And I guess it just kind of landed on your um, yeah. desk. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's what was, I mean, that's what was happening then. I'm not sure the, these, Disney doesn't even make these kinds of movies anymore, but, you know, back then, you know, there were these director for hire jobs that were floating around Hollywood and directors would go and meet and, you know, Disney was looking, the executives on the, of the movie division were very different from the television show. So they wanted, they actively wanted somebody outside of the TV show, you know, probably for a variety of reasons, just because maybe they wanted to keep control of their own person. I don't know, but I know they, I know they kind of told me they didn't want to hire from within and that was their prerogative. And so I lucked out because it was, you know, because there were some really good directors who did the show, like feature directors who had done stuff, you know? So uh, there was a little bit of tension, I think, about that initially, like, you know, who's this guy who directed this gay movie at Sundance directing Lizzie McGuire? What, what, what the hell is this? But, but, you know, turned yeah. out. Um, and you mentioned before that you saw the script, you didn't know what Lizzie McGuire was. Um, and then you read, you're like, yeah, it needs a little work. How did that process go? Did you end up watching any episodes just kind of get a clear sense? Because like you said, and me and Becca have talked about this, uh, Becca uh, has actually seen the movie a lot more than the show. And so for this podcast, we like watch a couple of episodes. And Becca, what was your first uh, Becca's reaction, the show versus the movie? It's so different. I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch the show growing up. Because really? I was little, I was little and my parents were like, she's getting a bra and you're six. So we need to <laughs> separate those. Like, uh, But I, I didn't actually see the movie until I was in college. Um, and I loved it. But uh, the, the show is so funny and like little and quirky. And it's got a lot of like boy, oy, oy, sound effects yeah. and all this very, stuff. And very zany. So yeah, it was, it was so different how like, I almost want to say that the movie is more sophisticated. Like it really feels like. Well, a movie. that's exact. I mean, the, it's funny. You hit the nail on the head because I didn't use that exact sound effect. But those boy, 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 those, those, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I, I fought against that tone because I thought, you know, the movie's got to kind of live by its own merits. And but I didn't want to, of course, disappoint the fans. I mean, it has to, you know, the cast, most of the cast came along to the movie and I was inheriting a lot of stuff. 
I thought it was going to be the first of maybe a handful of movies ultimately, but that didn't come to pass. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really did actively try to ground the movie a little more. You know, we shot it widescreen. Uh, I got a real orchestral score from a wonderful composer. You know, I did a lot of things um, that weren't even like, even there was a lot of, a bit of friction between the animators uh, and me with the animated Lizzie, because at first I was like, I mean, I knew I, I knew I had to have it, but part of me was like, we really need this animated. And in retrospect, that would have been sacrilege not to have animated Lizzie. <laughs> but, but when I watched some of the shows, I kind of felt like it was redundant. Like it wasn't used always well. It always felt like, at least and even in the script that I read, it felt like if Lizzie cried, then animated Lizzie cried. It was just, it was just like, what so why, why are we cutting to this thing that's just doing a redundant moment? <laughs> so I tried with the animators to to be very, very specific about when we use it, how we use it, and to make sure at least it's somehow useful and counterpointing or, you know, not just you know, zoink, zoink, you know. Because <laughs> right, there was a lot of zoink, zoink moments in the TV show episodes, let me tell you. Um, Listen, so. the TV show was, it was, it's hugely successful and it has, a, it has its own charm and so many talented people worked on it and that tone is what sold that show. But that wasn't, to me, that wasn't going to work in a movie. No, yeah. And I think you, I, and I, I could speak for a lot of people that I personally, I think I enjoyed the movie, um, a little bit more than the TV show, just because, you know, it's more, less zoing, zoing, zoing. I, I, I guess the more you get older, the more uh, you appreciate the movie as its separate thing and then the TV show um, and all that great stuff. And I will say, I don't know if you're familiar with Disney Channel original movies. Um, I, I, I don't, I can't say that I watched them. And they, at the time, there were probably less of them 20 years ago. Yeah, there's probably like five or something. But a lot of shows just got the Disney Channel, like there was a lot of shows that turned into Disney Channel movies. And some of them feel just like an hour long episode. Right. Um, and Liz McGuire is one of the rare few that made the jump to the big screen. And I think if you're going to, you know, actually have people pay money to go see um, an extended long Liz McGuire adventure, you got to make it worth your while. Well, I mean, and that's, that, that was my thought too, you know, and, and, part, and part, part, a big part of it was, you know, I wanted to be proud of the movie. And to be honest, I made the movie for me. I was the audience. I loved the songs. I had a big hand in picking the music and 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 we can go into all that, but so much of how that movie is, for better or worse, is choices I made because I thought they were funny or I liked that song or I liked that music. You know, of course, Disney, um, you know, was... I wouldn't say in control in a weird, they were, of course they were in control. It was their movie. But my point is I never got any pushback on anything, like anything. It was, it was an interesting, I thought, oh, here I go. I'm going to like make this movie for Disney. They're going to, I just had this indie movie where I, you know, I got to actually make it. And this is going to be like some corporate nightmare where I'm going to be, you know, all these chefs in the kitchen, right? Well, lo and behold, like nobody ever like challenged what I was shooting or, and I, I don't mean there was nobody watching. I just mean I never got notes other than from Karen and Doug about the script that we were working on constantly. But it was a very joyful experience for me because I felt like, all right, 
I got to make the movie that I thought was the best version of that script. You know? Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's so interesting because I was going to ask what it's like to go from making an indie movie like that into having your first studio film be with Disney and turning not like a very famous and beloved property into a movie. And so was it like 50-50 on creative control or were they really just more hands-off? They, you know, the script existed and then uh, and then it needed, you know, work. Most scripts need, you know, another pass or two. And then, you know, if the producers and the studio is supportive, they'll let the director, you know, tweak it and make it better or make it more filmable. Because once you get out there into the trenches of making the movie, you realize there's some stuff that has to be adjusted. It has to work. So I would be rewriting pages the, the day before and handing them out on the set. But that's kind of par for the course almost on any movie. Um, you know, creative control. I, they they let me make the movie. So, like I said, there was never any, like, you know, terrible, tension-filled executives on the set going, you know, what are you doing? This is a nightmare. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like a very, I had a lot of support in my uh, my executive producer, David Rossell, especially, was amazingly supportive. And I had a wonderful cinematographer. It was just a lovely, it was a lovely experience. It was really great. Yeah. So in the movie, I think it shows. Oh, everyone... for sure. For sure. Um, so you yeah. mentioned like uh, a lot about like the scripting and work, like all scripts do. Was there anything in like the first couple drafts where maybe someone was really keen on this idea and you're like, what are we doing here, guys? Or like something that you're just like, ah, I know you, what you guys are going for, but that is not going to translate. Uh, like was, like a plot device or a character that they were at or anything like that. There was only one thing that I that sticks out. Well, two things. One was the original writer, and and she was great. But I don't think she had actually been to Rome, which I hadn't. No, I had once actually, but only for a few days. <clears throat> she had written a roller skating sequence in the. Parth uh, and the Pantheon because it's round. And it was like, <laughs> well, okay, I'm not sure. It's a tomb, first of all. I'm not sure roller skating in a tomb is the most respectful <laughs> thing to do. Um, so that was, it was like stuff like that. But like, mm -hmm. but the biggest thing I remember is when um, they had hired sort of a, a round table of writers to kind of punch up the script a little bit, you know, and, and, Come up with more stuff uh, you know I'm not I don't remember how much we used or didn't use but I remember these two writers were uh adamant that Lizzie and and um Isabella should sing the duet the whole way through together and I'm like first of all we don't have the budget for those effects so I kept thinking <clears throat> I'm going to be compromised not being able to show them together it's going to be this this funky dance of trying it's already hard the way I you know it's hard enough with the budget and anyway and to me I thought you know no this is Lizzie's movie Lizzie needs to shine so I you know I came up with that way of, of how Isabella kind of like gives her the stage whether or not that makes sense but she walks off and lets Lizzie shine and I'm like that's the movie the movie is Lizzie Lizzie having her moment you know and finally having this moment so uh I remember they were they were a little adamant about that at first, but I was like, no, no. Yeah, I remember like as a kid, that was like the like a, a shy kid growing up or whatever. That was the dream. It's like you finally get your 
you, you know, the guts to do um, the thing. And that kind of works for the show because in the show, she was always like shy and kind of yeah. want to be in the background. So it's kind of like, you know, a good cherry on top of the Lizzie McGuire cake is exactly. to have her, you know, <laughs> singing and dancing in Rome as you do as you graduate eighth grade. Exactly. And <laughs> Which I, you know, Paolo was such a dog to her ultimately. It's like, no, 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 no. She's got to be out there on her own. Right. Singing, you know, you know and, wink, wink to Gordo on the side for the fans. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so um, along with uh, having you said um, a lot of the cast come back for um, the movie, you added some new characters. One of the best characters is Miss Ungermeyer, mm-hmm. played by the great Alex Borenstein. How? Because she was on Mad TV at the time, right? Yeah. 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 Was there any <laughs> Disney people were like uh, Mad TV family guy? And was that a lot of like Alex bringing her stuff in or anything like oh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, Alex was, look, you know, Robin Lippin, who who was the casting director for, she had suggested Alex and I wasn't really all that aware of her stuff. <clears throat> and she was just so, you know, hilarious. I'm like, okay, this woman is amazing. And there's a lot of ad libs in that for her that she says, even like, you know, the junk in the trunk line and her pat in her butt and all this stuff, I'm like, I, I could have sworn Disney would have like said, I left that stuff in and no one ever said to take it out. So I'm like, all right, we're leaving it in. And it's a kid's movie. And some of it's a little naughty, but it's like. <laughs> oh, I remember as a kid, everyone looked apart like, oh my God, she's on her butt. What are you doing? She was, I, I actually watched her in an interview recently when she was saying that she can tell um, how much, how people, like how old people are. Cause they either say, uh, I love you, Mars, Miss Mabel, or I love you in Liz McGuire movie. Yeah. Which so we, she was hilarious to work with. She's exactly as, you know, silly and fun and irreverent as you as you think she is. And, um, you know, I let her go. She like even that line when she when she's exiting the bedroom and the with the doctor and she goes, you know, I have this boil. And <laughs> that's literally that was an ad lib. She said she's that. Like, so good in that movie She's so good i and remember once fun. i finally got around to watching the show i was like where is mrs ungermeyer i had no idea that she was like a movie only <laughs> edition know. she belongs on the big screen and the big screen she only. does Ms. it would have been great to continue with her and and um you know and sergey too was was was, was oh, yeah. kind of a love a lovable big old lunk yeah. um yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you get this question all the time about characters coming back and not coming back. I got to ask. It wasn't my fault. I did not (laughs) choose for Miranda not to come back. She was already out of the TV show. Like she was already not in the last couple episodes of the TV show. And I really don't know why. I've, I've heard just the same rumors as you guys have. So there was either some problem or she wanted her own career but by the time they made the movie, she was already written out. And it was kind of that awkward line. Well, she's in Mexico. Like, all right. <laughs> I honestly don't think the movie would, like watching the movie, I don't even know where she would fit in. No, I know. It wasn't written with her even. Yeah. It would have been a different, different story. I don't know what it would I mean. Yeah, it would be. Like, it, yeah, I, I think about think about that a lot. When, when I watch the movie. I'm like, I wonder what this would have been like. Does it keep you up at night? It keeps, it you, keeps up you up at night, Jim. Like, I'll wake up in the, in the middle of the night and be like, oh, Miranda would have not done that. Would have not done yeah. that. That was like the big question everyone was asking me. I'm like, I don't know. Ask like, don't shoot the messenger, you. folks. I, I, she was already out of the show when I, you know, 
the last episodes of Lizzie the show. Mm. She's oh yeah, now, yeah. Now, now that you say that, she was kind of a wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so of course we have to ask about our our great hero, our Lizzie McGuire. What was it like to work with Hillary Dove? You know, I, I wish I had like a bunch of crazy like. She was a nightmare story. I don't. She was, <clears throat> she was such a We pro. wouldn't want to hear it. Right. We'd be like, no, and that's I mean, it. Bye. <laughs> no, no, no. She was, she was such a pro and made my job so easy because A, you know, she knew her role. She had been doing it for three years at that point. She never, she always knew her lines. She was easy to work with, easy to direct. The frustrating thing was that she was 15. So as a director, you don't get, you get very little time with her on the set because you, every minute matters, you know, cause she's underage. So you only get a certain amount of time with it, with an underage actor on set. So it was always this rush to get her on set, get her close-ups, and then get her back to school. So we could then flip around, shoot the backside of the stand-ins head. And so even like, if you don't see her face, it's, it's 99% of the time, not her, because we just couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't, uh, afford it you, you don't yeah. have the time you don't have the time but she was she was totally great she was great i love that we love that about uh miss hillary duff you know you never hear like a, a bad word about her she's been in the business for i guess 20 years at this point More and, and then now. yeah, she's yeah like now she's like you know we call her i call her hulary duff now because she's on hulu <laughs> uh right. you know and the fact that that has not caught on is a mystery to me I've never heard you say that. You haven't? No. Maybe it's under my breath. You're gonna I've have said to it. Say it I've said it before. I've said it. I know I have. Um, so, Jim, we have to ask you this. Uh, a little birdie called IMDb shared this fun fact about the movie. And we just have to know the full story. It said that you fought for Lizzie and Gordo, the kissing scene at the end, because Disney thought it was too provocative. No. No, no that's not true. That's not true. That was in the script. No, no, no. I don't know where you read that. No, that was in the script from day uh, IMDb. one. IMDb. <laughs> Someone is lying on IMDb. Someone's People lying. People are always lying on IMDb. <laughs> this ain't no, Wikipedia. No. What they're probably referring to or have misconstrued is it was in the script from day one. That's the end of the movie. They kiss at the end, right? But I remember when I first met with Hillary at a Starbucks in Santa Monica, just, you know, the first sort of hello, you know, meet and greet kind of thing. <laughs> comically and she was kind of being funny but I think she kind of meant it the first thing out of her mouth was do I really have to kiss Gordo at the end and I'm like <laughs> yeah it's in the script you know we have to do that um so I knew she would you know she was young and they were friends and it's weird I'm sure it was just mm -hmm. weird to kiss your friend you know uh so no, that was not a thing. Never. All right. Debunked. Debunked. You're here first, folks. IMDb, you got to check your sources. You got to check your sources. Because yeah. we always like, say I am debunked. I am debunked is what we would call it. In fact, I, I, some people, a couple fans thought that the kiss was too quick at the end. Um, I think it's lovely. I don't think it needed to be some right. sloppy tongue no. kiss. No. They're like, they're like 15. <laughs> <laughs> like young it's like it just needs to be this sweet kiss where she i wanted her to kiss him i didn't want him to kiss her but i think that was in the script anyway so no none of that whatever that <laughs> i mean if is. anyone watches if anyone watches the show we knew it was going to be leading up to gordo getting that smooch as we oh, like yeah. to say yeah. he always wanted that smooch it. and he got it good yeah. old gordo yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> Shout out to Gordo if you're listening. What other rumors do I need to debunk? I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, did Haley Duff sing the Isabella part? Yeah, you know, it's funny though. I say that with a grain of salt because, you know, there were music producers who would go away and make the tracks. And I wasn't, I was making the movie while they were recording things for the movie and then would give it to me, then I would approve it, right? So I didn't actually stand there and watch Haley um, record it. But I'm pretty sure that, I'm, I, I mean, it, it is what, what we did because Haley had a similar voice, but we didn't want it to be the same voice. And so, yeah, it yeah. was Haley. That was always the lore growing up. We're like, yeah. who sang that? We have to know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm because Haley can sing and I'm pretty sure I, I can't, you know, there were, but there were also um, <clears throat> like Paolo's voice is not him singing. It's a studio singer. And so there may have been a studio singer that did the other voice. I don't think so. I think it was Haley. About, you know, I may need to like, you know, check on that. <laughs> Going into the 20th anniversary, that's what we need to know. Before the clock strikes midnight on 2024, yeah. 2024, we have to know. Right. I'll try to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of singing, I would love to know about your involvement with the soundtrack. It's such a perfect 2000s time capsule. I recently just added it to my vinyl record collection. Oh, yeah. It was expensive. Um, I know. Yeah, I I mean well, I, collect I bought vinyl, one too. So, yeah, I wish I bought it when it was retail, but I'm so happy to have it. I just played it the other day, and I well, it wasn't retail. That, that that vinyl just came out two years ago. That, the yeah, vinyl? I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like an exclusive, I, right? I know it was yeah. it was an Urban Outfitters exclusive, and they usually yeah. retail for like thirty to forty. And I don't yeah. want to say how much I paid for it on the right. pod because well, that's a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the day, it, so. Back in the day, oh. we had the the actual uh, album CD, and we whenever we'd pick my sister up, we'd be like, "All right, time to play it." <laughs> my, my mom would be like, "Okay, here we go again." So, so yeah, what was that like piecing piecing that together, making that just beautiful compilation? It, it was really a wonderful um, collaboration. First of all, I had a wonderful music supervisor named Elliot Lurie. Uh, and he believed it. I don't know if you're old enough to know this, but there's a song called Brandy. You're a fine girl from the early 70s. Look what it up. He's the lead singer. Could be. Really? Yeah. Oh, He's that's awesome. I love that song. Yeah. So he he was the music supervisor on the movie. And the music supervisor, in theory, helps you find all your music and coordinates all the recordings and any kind of stuff you want to put into the movie, right? So I remember going, I remember. I remember making a list or asking him to give me a list of every sort of Italian song. And the Dean Martin song was one. I'm like, okay, this song, I'm putting this in the movie. This is, I love this Dean Martin thing. I think he had had it on a list of songs. And I'm like, oh my God, I love that song. I had asked him to look up the song Volare, which is Italian. And <clears throat> he initially was like, what? what's that song? And then of course there's like 700 recordings of that song. So then I said, listen, that's the song. That's I'd love to put Valare. It's a it's a class, it's a classic song. Um, so he went off and had it produced, you know, the way it is for the movie, which is also a story because I fell in love with the demo, which is which is a, a an unnamed singer who I think was in Germany, and her version is in the movie, but vitamin C re-recorded the vocal for the album. So the album is different mm -hmm. than the movie. Um and then 
the what dreams are made of the the iconic song at the end was written by my friend dean pitchford and they weren't thrilled with it at first oh. dean had i dean was a friend of mine i brought him in to to write the finale song because you know he wrote he co-wrote uh, footloose and he wrote songs on fame and he's a famous if you look him up he has a academy award nominated if not winning songwriter <clears throat> he wrote this wonderful song i'm like i'm in love with this song and then you know they all hemmed and hawed and like didn't love it and you know hillary's musical career was just starting and they were like this doesn't sound like hillary and i'm like well it's not hillary it's lizzie which is different <laughs> right. so we all had to sort of go to the mat to get that one in the movie um oddly enough because it's i knew with that hook that wonderful hook in the song that it was going to be you know it would it would stand the test of time and also um uh the song um uh through the eyes of what's the song oh my god uh when they're when they're running and they're holding hands on the fireworks yeah yeah it's like a it's like a really it's it's not it's not a boy band is it no my yeah my brain isn't working right now uh element or something yes yes oh, element t element t yeah hey juliet but my friend david friedman wrote that and he had done the score for trick and also wrote songs for that movie so i was trying to bring my talented friends along into my disney film yeah because i think People along with the movie, they talk about the songs that are featured in that movie. It has a great score, great songs. And I'm sure, um, I hope you go to the Disney executives, you know, every now and then to say like, I told you, told you so. Because the amount oh. of like Instagram captions that still say, this is what dreams are made of. Hey now, hey now. Well, you know what? The one thing, and I remember Dean Pitchford and I talking about this, is we really thought that that song would be something that disney would use like the disney could with that name what dreams what dreams are made of like are you kidding me like it should be all over disneyland right yeah they never did they never did they never embraced the song and what's been so satisfying is over these 20 years is just watching especially in the last 10 years seven years watching that watching all of you become older and remembering that song lovingly and I feel like it's finally kind of become the song that Disney could have been embracing all this time in a more active way. Mm -hmm. I you think know? now uh, the people who are running like Disney's social media and all that stuff are people who grew up with that movie. And they're like, well, duh, let's use this. Yeah. I'm not sure Hillary <laughs> likes this song, though. I'm not sure Hillary likes it. I don't know. I remember one time during like lockdown when people were always going on Instagram live. Her husband's a guitarist and someone said, you should sing what dreams are made of. She's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I should. I haven't sang that in such a long time. Um, so I think it's she? <laughs> come on. Um, she, she, maybe she was just maybe pandering to us, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> it is her it is her most listened to song on Spotify. I looked at that the other day. So it yeah, is truly what I, dreams are made of. The music is is very important to me. And, and that's why, you know, with with you know, collaborating with the producers and with Elliot Lurie, my music supervisor, all the all the songs, you know, uh, he brought a lot of amazing pop songs into the into the mix. And I brought the Italian songs and what dreams are made of. So it was a, just sort of a wonderful um, collaboration. And then the score was very important to me, too. And that's why I I fought to put the um, score on the album, that that suite of music 
which they didn't want to put on the album because if kids aren't going to want to hear that, I'm like, I want to hear it. I want to. I want to. <laughs> it's a beautiful. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. They, don't, they don't score movies for like teen movies like that anymore. No. Um. So when Becca got the vinyl, she was like reading through that list, and she goes, "I think this is a RuPaul song. Is yes. th- is that the Ru- a RuPaul song on there? Yes, it is. But it's and not you know, sung by RuPaul. I know because <laughs> um, at the time I wanted the RuPaul song. That was a song I picked for that for that and and. Uh, they basically didn't want to have a drag queen singing a song in a Disney movie, to be honest. So they, they it's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of homophobia, I think, and dragophobia. Yeah. RuPaul, Ru, RuPaul wasn't the RuPaul she is now. I mean, she was much more, um, what, I guess a little more fringe at the time, 20 years ago. She's now just, you know, a household mm-hmm. name. Back then she wasn't. So, you know, I think they thought a gay director was enough. Thank you. <laughs> We don't need a drag queen song in the movie. So we recorded it with Taylor Dane and Taylor did an amazing job. And, you know, um, it turned out great. It's just weird that we couldn't use. Yeah. Yeah. RuPaul was actually just cast in a Disney Channel original movie this last year. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I was like, full circle. They said, well, we couldn't get you for Liz McGuire movie, but now 20 years later, come on, come on down. (laughs) And you've heard, you've heard the Ellen DeGeneres story, right? About her. She, she was, in the mix for Miss Ungermeyer. <gasps> no, no. <way. laughs> yeah. And um, I think there was a little bit of, well, maybe not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Lesbian. So. <laughs> but that's so weird because she was Dory. So she was already in the Disney family. Well, I guess I she was later. a fish. That was later. Oh, oh really? Yeah. I'm getting oh, yeah. my years mixed up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it also wasn't her face. So you're I mean, right. a little child yeah. is just going to be like, that's a fish. That's not <laughs> Ellen but, DeGeneres. In Disney's defense, it didn't it didn't come to some ugly conversation. But, you know, once Alex Borstein came on, it was like, she's perfect. This is yeah. this woman. This woman's El- great. Ellen as Miss Ungermeyer would have been so different. Yeah. Funny. But Could so really different. Funny, I know. But th- this is like this is sort of the amazing thing about casting is a lot of times there's just happy accidents and second choices become iconic. And it's like, you know, it's, you have to kind of go with, you know, who's available and who's right. And yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Written in the stars for sure. Wow. Come on, Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> I think, she, I think Ellen turned out fine. <laughs> yeah. She's Ellen's fine. RuPaul's fine. fine. They're, yeah. they're both doing okay. But yeah. They would have been a okay if they were in the Liz McCarr movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know you guys were, you guys are basically the original White Lotus, you know, shooting in Italy. Uh, <laughs> I thought I, about that. It's funny you say that. I thought about that watching White Lotus. I thought, oh, they're having such a good time in Italy. What a great, you, you just can't have a bad time making a, anything in Italy. This is so. I'm wondering, this is so weird, but I'm wondering if it's like some of the same crew. Because did you use an Italian yes. crew like they did? So there I'm wondering if some of them, you know, they're like, well, I remember 20 years ago, Hillary Duff and Jim Fall came down wait, here. Wait, wait, I'm going to look up. Yes, this woman, Ute uh, Leonard. If you look her up uh, in, in on um, White Lotus, she it was the Italian producer. And she is, I saw her name in the credits for White Lotus. I'm like, ah! And she was a, she was great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah and how, how was that like shooting in... Italy, because I've seen um, interviews um, from this movie back in the day, and especially White Lotus, where 
it's just, well, maybe more of this movie because y'all actually shot like in the in the streets. So yeah. and I and I don't know if it was more crowd control because I don't know if Hillary Duff was was she I don't like no. a needle in a haystack. No, people. Yeah, people asked me that too. Like, were people, um, cry, you know, clamoring to get the Hillary? They weren't because she wasn't a big star in Italy at that point. Yeah, I, I think it was know. still like very American. Liz McGuire was. Yeah, but we were oh. like, even though we had a re- relatively big budget, we were shooting in these really popular tourist, beautiful places. But tourists were, of course, flocking. Even the, you know, the Trevi Fountain and the Spanish Steps and, um. So if you see some of the pictures, we're like our little crew was like, you know, trying to make this movie where all these, you know, <laughs> tourists are just everywhere. Um, it was a challenge for the production. But the, the Italian crew was amazing. It, it, there was sort of this running gag about we'd ask for something and we'd get half of it and then we'd get more. I don't know. There's a different mentality, I think, in, in Italy where it was a little bit of a negotiation and they kind of told us that no one shot at the Coliseum for 20 years and you're going to be the first. And it's like, well, I don't think that's. You're like, but uh, for, for this yeah. story, we will be because it'll be a great story. <laughs> yeah. Y'all didn't actually shoot in the Coliseum. Did you like inside for the musical number? No, no. I didn't think... no. We shot the exterior. It's really the Coliseum. Yeah. Um, but we built this huge interior set in, in Vancouver of the Coliseum interior, you know, I mean, you can't have a concert in the Coliseum. They're going to maybe turn it into a concert venue. Um, For the 20th anniversary of Lizzie Bar movie. A little too late for that. No, there's like a platform there. There's been a platform there where you can have small sort of performances, but there's no seats. There's no, there's no floor. There's like, it's the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a ruin. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was a little bit of a stretch to have. I've seen people wow. on like social media, like Twitter in the past couple of years on vacation, taking photos in the Coliseum <laughs> saying like, ain't no way Lizzie McGuire had her concert here. I know. I feel bad when they walk in. Like, <laughs> oh, wait, this couldn't have happened Like, here. I think, you know, you know, this movie uh, drove up the tourism attraction to Rome. I love right? that. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I know. So, and people still on Instagram will type, Hey, now, what dreams are made of and all that stuff. And I, and it's just that, that what dreams are made of. Hey, now I'm saying it in the wrong order. Hey, now, Hey, now what dreams are made of, you know, it just rolls off the tongue. It does. And, you know, um, well, first of all, nothing makes me happier than seeing people do that because I may have said this in other interviews, but you know, you make a movie for kids and you don't really get feedback because you're all, you know, five years old when you're seeing it. So I don't get to hear, I loved it. I'm, you know, but now that it's 20 years later or even 15 years, I think it started about five years ago, people going to Rome and really referencing the movie and, you know, having it be a touchstone for them and wanting to go to Rome because of the movie and hearing how much the movie meant to them when they were younger makes me so happy because I remember the movies that were important to me when I was young. And it, it, it thrills me to know I've made a movie that affected kids the way movies affected me when I was a kid you know it made you made me love want to go to Rome or want to make a movie or want to do whatever we do you know yeah and um, when it was released where you expect and we can always talk about like 20 years later probably is more popular than it was when uh, it came out but did you expect like when it was released that yeah it's already has a built-in fan base Hillary Duff, Liz McGuire, Disney I think I'm set or was it 
uh, above your expectations, even like for that movie? I'm not sure I had expectations because it was my first, you know, uh, studio movie. I knew it wasn't, um, you know, because it was a very specific movie. It was based on a TV show for a very specific audience. So my expectations were a little bit muted in general. And I remember my executive, and I love her for telling me this because I was so excited about the movie and, and I thought it turned out great. And I think she wanted to just, you know, manage my expectations. And she said kind of bluntly to me, you know, th this isn't going to get good reviews. You know that, right? And I'm like, what? What do you mean? And she's like, and she's right. This kind of movie, you know, reviewers review it like it's a, you know, it, it didn't get great reviews. I mean, it got, you know, not panned, but it, it's not a review movie. It's an audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, I was thrilled. It opened number two. X-Men 2 had just opened. That was number one. Our movie made its entire budget back the first weekend. That was That's a big deal. Like, that's a big deal for any movie. Yeah. So it did, you know, it did great for what it was. I think it did. I think Disney was really surprised by how oh, well really? it. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess I did. I guess we always say Hilary Duff, Liz McGuire was like Disney's experiment about like, uh, is this going to work? Is this? And then they kind of build off of it because now you have Selena Gomez's, Miley Cyrus's and all that. And it's kind of built in. But I think that's true. I think that's why they even hired me this. You know, I already made one movie and they, you know, they, they weren't handing me the keys to um, something they thought was, you know, a real, like an iconic thing. They were like, yeah, all right, you know, go make your Lizzie McGuire movie, whatever. Yeah. But it, you know, it turned into a bigger thing than I think they actually thought. Yeah. And you mentioned before that um, there were talks and things about doing another movie or doing another show. Um, were you involved in those conversations or? No, no, it didn't get very far. And I, I don't, I don't know if, you know, there's no guarantee. I don't think it was in my contract. Maybe it was in my contract. I doubt it. Um, that they would have had to come to me to make a sequel. But I think what happened was, I mean, you probably know this. It's, it was in the news. I mean, Hillary, they were negotiating and Hillary wanted too much money and Disney said no. And then the whole thing fell apart. Right. And I think she wanted, I think she wanted to grow up and make something other mm -hmm. than the Lizzie McGuire her mm -hmm. whole life. So I think that was a big part of why they were playing hardball a bit and asking for too much money or not too much, yeah. more than they knew Disney would want to give. No. And then I'm, I'm just guessing, but and then 20 years later, she said, I'm ready to play again. And they said, and okay. Then it fell apart again, you know? And then yeah. But this time, <laughs> Disney was like, uh, actually, in in that point, Liz McGuire is the movie and the show is that uh property that they now like are very, because um, you can get a Lizzie McGuire pin at Disney World and Disneyland. So they know the value in the property and they're just like, mm, sorry, which is so strange to me. Yeah. Again, I was not involved in the TV show. I can't, I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't hoping it would happen because I figured if it's a success, you know, maybe I could get on the show and direct an episode or two or three. What a wonderful, like, you know, uh, thing that would be. But um I don't know. You know, it's weird that it got that far that they must have. Okay. They shot, like, shot, they shot like two episodes. Yeah. What I think happened was yeah. they weren't really sure what they were doing. And then they're like, this doesn't really fit with Disney plus because this is That's a Disney dumb. property. And then they didn't want to 
but they don't want to move it to other places because it says Disney at the top. And then I, I would have <laughs> been very, very curious because to be honest, after the movie, after she became a pop star, right? Like, where do you go from there? Italy, what do you do? Like, how, like, would the series have just pretended that didn't happen? Or, I hope not. I mean, yeah. it had to be canon. Right. Lizzie McGuire movie is canon. Damn it. I mean, so in a way, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I guess if it had to happen, I'm glad. I guess I'm glad my movie is still the last. <laughs> yeah, like like comment. what happened the minute Liz McGuire touched on American soil the day after um what dreams are made of performance? I've said this before, but I would love I would love to do a movie update where they run into each other again and are completely different people. I mean, Paolo and um, Hillary, where Paolo has now become, I don't know what, like you know, he's working behind a counter at a you know cafe or something or whatever <laughs> he's doing. And she's like this really cool smart together woman and they actually fall in love this time because he's not an asshole anymore <laughs> and then something happens i don't know i don't know that's all i have i like where you're going i like where you're yeah. going what a twist i know i love that it got to be the send-off though because the movie does feel like i know a, gra- a graduation uh, in that, in uh, that i know a lot of people people i talked to when the reboot was announced everyone was like but the movie was such a good way to end everything like how do you build off from that so yeah. Maybe it's not written in the stars and maybe that's how it should be. Go out yeah. on a high. Go out on a high. Yeah. 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 Who knows? <laughs> so what's it been like uh just career post Lizzie McGuire? I know you worked with Haley Duff again in 2011 yeah. and Debbie Ryan and also Coco Peru, who I am a huge yes. fan of. I love, oh, I love Coco that. Peru. Oh, I love that you are. Um yeah, it's it's uh uh, you know, I made a Christmas movie with um, with Haley, and she had a she it was an ensemble cast, and she was she was in it. She was lovely, and it was great to. I didn't really get to know her when we shot the movie. I, I barely. I think I met her briefly once <clears throat> while we were shooting. Um, and I made some Christmas movies, and yeah, Coco Coco Peru, famous, amazing, hilarious drag queen, and really good friend of mine, uh, was in Trick, my first movie. Uh, yeah, it's just been it's been it's been a weird thing, you know. Lizzie, the movie didn't help my career <laughs> as much as maybe I would have hoped and thought. Um, I, I think Hollywood didn't respect it that much, so it didn't really like doors didn't fly open because I had made the the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yeah. Um, although when you make a studio movie at that kind of budget, you're kind of vetted. And it's like, okay, like if Disney's willing to give this guy, you know, a movie or whatever, that's a, that's a, that's a step up, you know? But um, so short of like, you know, amazing projects coming my way, I'm proud of the six films that I've, I, I fixed six feature films I've made. Uh, I made this wonderful movie called Wedding Wars with uh, uh, John Stamos and um, <clears throat> James Brolin. And it was a, it was a gay marriage uh, comedy in 2006, which was kind of ahead of the curve and kind of ahead of its time. And uh, I was really proud of that because I thought if I'm going to do another gay gay themed movie, I don't want it to be just anything. I want it to be something that matters. And, you know, the producers have really developed that script into a nice place. So I'm proud of that. And then, yeah, then I made some Christmas movies and those were really, really fun too, <laughs> really fun to make. So I got to work with Shelley Long and, um, and I direct a lot of theater also. I direct a lot of theater here in LA. In LA. Mm-hmm. 
Gosh. I've been busy lately. Yeah. What's the latest uh, thing you've been working on? Um, I've been developing, I wrote a a pilot with a friend of mine, Brad Beyer, who's also an actor in Trick way back when. So we wrote a, uh, we've been sort of writing some stuff on spec. We wrote, I wrote a pilot uh, about a guy who's, he's estranged from his brother and the brother is a drag queen. The two of them run run into each other again when their father dies and have to sort of live with each other. So it's, the working title is she's my, she's my brother, but we're going (laughs) to, we'll change that. Um, Uh, I'm also developing a TV show with a producer um, based on this book called, the, the title is The Lord Won't Mind, which is not, the, it's a little bit of a heavy title, but it's, it's again, another gay themed thing with this, um, it was a novel from 1970 that was one of the first, it was on the New York Times bestseller list, and it sold for six, it was on the top of the charts for 16 weeks, and it's a classic gay themed novel, which actually had a happy ending which was very rare back in the early Still is. <laughs> Still is. I know, you're right. Um, but it takes place in 1930 in New York City about these two guys who meet and have to sort of navigate that time period. And it's really kind of epic and lovely. And um, so we've been developing that into a TV show. So I've just been doing a lot of writing. The pandemic enabled me to sort of stay home and like, okay, I guess I'll just write. Awesome. That's awesome. Creativity comes in like the most weird weird times and the weird weird places for sure yes well it has been we want to thank you so much for your time it has been so amazing talking with you about your career and lizzie mcguire movie and we touched on this a little bit but just to kind of close out how do you feel about the impact of the film looking back on it on its 20-year anniversary you know it it a, I can't believe 20 years has, has gone by. That's insane. Uh, as you get older, you're going to realize how fast years go by. Um, but, you know, I'm proud of that movie. And I'm proud that the choices we all made on the creative side have has kept the movie. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound highfalutin, but I feel like the movie has a sort of timeless quality to it. People still love it for the right and wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> And uh, personally, it just makes me really happy that, like I said earlier, that I put something out there that um, people still think fondly of 20 years later. That's, I mean, how many people get to say that? So that's right. um, This is like a random question, but it has to do with like the impact it has. You said like for a while, yeah, you didn't really hear about it because, you know, we're all like, you know, in first grade and, you know, now we're middle school. And the older you get and the older the movie's been out, what's the weirdest place that you've seen Liz McGuire movie referenced or someone has sent you something you're like wait what <laughs> that is being referenced still or that is where it it's makes, being referenced it, it makes it 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 thrills me that no matter where I go if there is someone within the 25 year to 30 year old range and I don't lead I don't walk in a room and go I directed the Liz McGuire so it's like I don't oh. That's the difference between you and I. I would be like, "Uh, hi, (laughs) table for one, the director of Liz McGuire movie. But when it it comes up or if someone asks me what I do and then I'm listing what I've done, the the joy and shock on on their faces, they almost, they gasp. It's like, and it, (laughs) it, it's amazing to me to have people go, what, what? I love that movie. And it's like, oh my God, okay. I'm happy. I'm really happy. You love it. I mean, sincerely, it makes me very happy. The other, the, the thing that I think the, 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 
the other thing is when um, uh, the Simpsons made fun of the movie uh-huh. in a in a funny way, and I, that's when I really knew the movie had yeah found its way into pop culture because yeah. Have you, yeah. have you seen the little, little yes yes yeah, looking up like Liz McGuire movie images that's like one of the one of the things you see in Google you're like you know you made it when you get parodied on like Saturday Night Live The Simpsons or like a talk show or anything like that well, it's, and the I, butt of, it's the butt of the joke because they're they're out drink on a, dr- a drunk binge watching all these movies that are all movies about alcoholics or or, or, you know, and then the last movie they walk out of, it says the Lizzie McGuire movie on the marquee. And they're like, <laughs> it's the, it's the wine. It's the wine in the background. Exactly. That, you never know what's going on. You never know what's going on. That, that made me laugh. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for your time. And like, you know, letting us talk your ear off about a movie that was released 20 years ago. 20 years. thought 20 years. Uh, not to sound cheesy, but that's truly what dreams are made of. You know, Disney, I think every time someone says that on Instagram or thing, you should get a little dollar in, in your pocket. My Me or, or, or Dean, the songwriter. So yeah, the lyric, you wrote the lyrics. So I love it. I love it. 50 well, cents a piece. 50 yeah, cents a piece. Yeah, we'll split like it. literally you'll like make your money back, like probably in about 30 minutes is what I'm thinking. Jim. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much. This was a thrill. Like we're so honored uh, that you even like came to talk to us and um, thank Thanks, you so man. much uh, for this and for the movie. Cause guess what? Uh, stream it on Spotify. Uh, the soundtrack, most importantly, everyone <laughs> uh, and check out Jim on social media. Are you on Instagram or yeah, you're on Instagram. I am. You can find me Jim, uh, Jim fall films uh, yeah. on Instagram and I'm on, I'm on the Facebook the facebook <laughs> the facebook capital the facebook. t-h-e-e facebook yeah, awesome yeah. it's uh yeah it's a it's a public uh thing you can see me yeah. awesome well thank you so much jim we really appreciate it thank you guys well let me just say we are starting 2023 off really strong because we like we you just listened to our conversation with jim fall and so cool um Again, every time someone comes on this podcast and they were involved in something we grew up watching, it's the ultimate mind, like, to quote us saying in the, the Zuzu, Liz <laughs> McGuire sound effects. I don't what know. What a just sound so effect weird. heavy episode that almost was. <laughs> right. I don't know. He was he was so cool with his time, shared some yeah. great stories. And it's you just, also, yeah. you always love to hear, and we've heard this from everybody that we've spoken to so far, that the... They also like love to see the impact that their work has had, and they still love to talk about that stuff and like look back on it just as fondly as we do, which is always awesome to hear. Like you wouldn't have wanted to hear him be like, "Ugh, I thought that movie was garbage." <laughs> right? We're like, "Oh, well, we don't." <laughs> um, but uh, Jim, um, if you're listening, which I hope you are, because we're celebrating you here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for um, coming on to the podcast and having some yes. fun with us. The um, and it was day that we're the day that we're recording this, which is Wednesday, January 11th, is also the 22nd anniversary 22nd. of the Lizzie McGuire television show. So serendipity all around yeah. on the, the impact. Today. The impact is astronomical. Um, but of course, we can't end a Time Machine podcast episode. Until we learn what the Disney Channel lesson uh, is. So what is the Disney Channel lesson we learned today? The Disney Channel lesson that I learned today is before you propose that a Disney Channel icon should go roller skating in a tomb, (laughs) think about it first. (laughs) 
Um, my Disney Channel lesson is if someone presents you with the lyrics and the chorus starts off with, hey now, hey now, this is what dreams are made of. Don't put put your nose up at it. Do it's not like, underestimate the power of what dreams are made of. Right. Come on. In Disney, you still have time to use that at your freaking parks. Well, um, Disney will never freaking utilize the channel in the parks, but like a fireworks show to what dreams are made of. It baffles deserve. me when Disney adults cry at the Disney fireworks show, but if they played Hey Now, Hey Now, I would tear up. Right. I was like, I'm not going to cry when um, you've got a friend in me is playing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Like, I'm but. not going to cry when somebody's just being like, oh, and I dreamed and I got my wish. And then, like, I don't know. It always baffles me. Like, imagine, no hate to the ima- Disney adults. Imagine love what you love. But. Imagine, right. We're not going to yuck anyone's yum here. <laughs> um, but, like, imagine you're at the park and all of a sudden you hear the lights go off and you hear, hey, now, hey, now. And then it followed, oh. if it's followed up by, like, every day. From High School Musical 2. If it's a Disney Channel medley, I'm ballin'. We're ballin'. <laughs> Call me Michael Jordan because I'll be ballin'. <laughs> uh, if, okay, Becca, if people want to find out um, how what your dreams are made of, I'm directed by Jim Fall. Where can I find you? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at HeyOh'sBecca, TikTok at Becca's Records. Uh, maybe I'll show off my Lizzie McGuire vinyl soon on there. Ooh. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been picking up a little steam on the TikTok, so get on over there if you're interested in vinyl record content. You can also check out my YouTube channel, Becca Stogner. I'm going to try and start being more active on there. And you can also check out my other podcast, Youth Group Survivor Support Group. We are YGSSG Podcast on all the socials. Awesome. And if you want to find me on any of the social medias, I'm at Real Hunter Martin on Instagram. H. Cameron Martin on Twitter. And if you want to keep up to date on anything about this podcast, um, we're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Just type in the Time Machine Podcast. You'll find us there. Um, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review, we will read it on an episode. Um, rate us five stars on Spotify, if you don't mind. Uh, DM us on social media. We love talking to you guys. Uh, tell us what you don't like. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you don't want to hear. Um, because we um, want you guys to have so much fun listening to this as we have making it. All right, we are keeping the train rolling with 20th anniversaries in January next week. So we have another super special occasion to celebrate with you guys. But and it won't. Until... Should we give him a hint? Yeah, I guess. Um, you won't say the episode is nasty. <laughs> Shut up! Okay. You're gonna give a hint, and it's that. What do you want me to say? Let's I don't go. Know. If you could gaze into the past. What happened 20 years ago? You might Ouch, think. that hurts. Yeah, it really does. Um, but until next time, we have to oil our creaky old bones. So <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time, time travelers. Uh, always buckle your seatbelts. Hey.